that was that's so radical like most people they work and work and work by bible study prayer going to church and tithing and doing good works to get saved and then we've come out of that and said no that doesn't save you and when we got saved but then like you said they work and pray and fast and ask god to give them freedom from sin and they don't realize that's just as free and doesn't take any more work just as to get much free from sin as it does did to get free from the penalty of sin. Welcome to episode 43 of In Light of the Gospel. Today I'm speaking with a man named Moses Schrock from Ohio. He's a former uh, Schwarzentruber Amish. And those of you that are, are Amish might laugh at my pronunciation of that. He's, uh, he's got quite a testimony. He was a very early seeker. When he was a very young man, he was seeking truth seeking righteousness and he thought it was found in the plainness of his community his form of amish seemed to be the most plain the most simple the most held back a most alternate from the world and so it seemed right that his group was the group but it was quite an extraordinary trek for him to finally come to faith in christ and now he's a bible teacher he uh, teaches the bible and preaches at a little group in ohio that they've started up and it was a real joy and pleasure to talk to him. I think this story will uh, will impact quite a few of you, and I hope that you share it with your friends. I just want to remind you, too, that I do have the audio version of these. I think that's something I often neglect to mention. If you go to Spotify, if you go to Google, if you go to Apple, um, even if you go to Anchor, um, Anchor uh, podcast platform, which is where I record and post my audios, you can find them there as well. So if the video format doesn't work well for you, then please uh, listen to the audio and share it with your friends. So thanks again for tuning in and God bless you. Well, Moe's Schrock, I've... Uh heard a lot about you. I've been hearing about your name for years already. I forget where I first heard it, whether it was from the Pearls or, or someone else. I can't remember, but uh, it's kind of neat to finally meet you. Yeah. I uh, was not expecting your face to quite look like this. I thought it looked different on the On Facebook, the video? But, oh, no, on Facebook, like oh, on okay. the profile picture. But uh, no, it's great to see you finally. Gotcha. Well, sort of in person. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was talking to quite a few of your... Um, uh, friends or people acquaintances in your area and some in from i think your brother andrew he doesn't yeah. live too far from you as well an hour and 20 minutes yeah okay and they they had no concept of where canada was or how far we were from them and i opened up the map and i showed them i'm like this is the lake erie we're literally just north of lake erie yeah. so if we were to go on a boat straight across from our place to yours might only be i don't know 90 miles 100 miles something like that what yeah yeah i guess yeah we're just now we've been to lake erie i mean it is in niagara falls actually okay but of course been to lake erie too but right so niagara uh we did check too that if we take a a, tr a drive to your place or to your area then it's almost five hours drive because we got to go all the way around to either to niagara oh. falls and around that way or detroit and all the way around the other way right so but that still sounds closer because normally when you think i think canada it sounds like far away yeah I mean, we're I've only been about in Canada. two hours from the States, so. I see. Yeah, I've been to Canada, but it was out, you know, from Montana. I switched, okay. I went over the border, but that's way out west. That's way out west, yeah. So where yeah. are you originally from then? I grew up in Worcester, Ohio area. 
Okay. The, so, well, they call it the Lodi community. The Amish called it the Lodi community. Okay. So I, I've heard you make mention too of, uh, let's see if I can say this correctly, Schwarzentruber? Yeah, Schwarz, Schwarzentruber. Schwarzentruber. That's your background. That's your type of Amish. The Schwarzentruber Amish, yeah. Okay. They're, they're the serious ones. Yeah, they are the, <laughs> the real Amish. I think the other ones are kind of hybrid Amish. They're all just one of these. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have an Amish colony uh, right here, uh, maybe 20 minutes from our place. And my wife grew up right in that area too. So she knows uh, that community fairly well. And I don't know for sure what background they would claim to be, but uh, they're pretty, what order pretty they serious. So they're in Canada, they're Amish. Yeah. Like like pretty serious Amish. There are sports and troopers in, in Canada. I just know Canada, but I don't know what okay. part of Canada. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, so, we're the real, real Amish. The real, like, how, how do you mean real? Is it just that you, there was a little bit of pride in the fact that you guys kept rules more strictly, that kind of thing? Um, we were, we were more strict and we didn't, so we didn't have electricity or get, have drivers to take us shopping and, uh, no indoor plumbing. And so if you want to be Amish to me, we were like for real, the lowest of the Amish. And so if I would think about all the different churches and, and, uh, whether you should leave one group and go to another, I was like, everybody could join us because we're the lowest. Like it's, it's, you're supposed to stay where you were born and raised in. Right. Cause Paul told Timothy, keep that, which was committed right. or, uh, stay in that, which you were taught or whatever. It's in German. I can hardly remember how exactly it says in English. So I'm like, if, if you should stay where you were born and raised in, but if you were born and raised higher than then where you're joining to that would be the right direction because you're going lower so i was like everybody could join us but we couldn't join anybody else because to, to leave us we'd have to go higher interesting no, I, I thought we were the lowest that there were and, and by lowest you mean like most Strictest. humble the most strict, well the most yeah the less convenience the least convenience okay conveniences and uh the longest hair <laughs> basically <laughs> The longest hair <laughs> and the biggest pants. Probably. Okay. I had never heard those, those claims before. Well, yeah, I mean, then, well, there was one group that split off of our group that, that let their hair just a bit, little longer and their pants were a little bigger. So you could so, have potentially gone a little lower. I guess so. They, <laughs> I mean, to go more humble, you have to get more ugly. So yeah, that's, that's for sure. Basically that's what sure. they did. I, I appreciate your dry sense of humor there. That's, uh, that's good stuff. I was raised old colony Mennonite, but I had to explain. I was in Iowa last week with a bunch of plain folks there that uh -huh. had come out of plain groups, and a lot of them were from your area. And I tried to explain to them that my the religion that I was raised in is called old colony Mennonite, but I yeah. was never raised in a colony. We, we oh, I was raised, yeah. born and raised in Canada. I wore store-bought clothes. We had electricity. I went to public school. I was raised like a normal Canadian kid, right? But if you go back to Mexico, where my parents were born and raised, or even my wife, she was born and, and then raised till she was six years old in Mexico. There they had little little uh, colony based on a number, like you were from Campo 66 or Campo 45, something like that, right? So all these little villages were little uh, colonies. But mm. here in Canada, I still prided myself on being more humble than most people. 
but the Amish, that was just ridiculous. Like they were, yeah, yeah, they had gone too far. Yeah, that held, is held back too much. That just goes to show that whatever group you're with feels the right group. That's right. It doesn't matter who it is. You think you're the right group just because, not because you're necessarily right or based on the Bible more. It's because it's familiar yeah. and it just feels right. So it's kind of more of a, an emotion based truth you know it feels yeah. right and it's not based in facts and i used to think that everybody else outside of our groups probably is not they probably know that they're a little off and they're just kind of playing the game but we know we're right but they probably don't at least but you're serious I, yeah and so you just kind of assume that others aren't that convinced because how can they be we're the only ones that are really right you know and it depends on what you're measuring it by, right? You were measuring it by plainness, by uh, humility, as your your version of humility, even ugliness, as you said. And so clearly there was no one else that was measuring up to what you guys did, right? Yeah. And the measuring stick that we went by, or and that wasn't a good one. How should I say this? It wasn't a good perception. It might have been a good measuring stick because we thought we were using Christ as our measuring stick. But my mm. perception of how we were living out Christ's example was off because I thought it's important to try to live physically like Christ, meaning he didn't have modern conveniences. Mm. So I just had a very hard time picturing Christ driving a car. So how can we drive a car? <laughs> I had a hard time imagining him doing all these modern things. So I was like, well... The, hump, the the least of the modern conveniences that you've got, the more like Christ you are. Interesting. But like I said, that perception was not accurate at all because we still had a lot of things that Christ didn't. For sure. We he had, had no guns, place to lay had, his head. Right. We had guns. We had uh, diesel-powered engines. We had a manure spreader. We had <laughs> modern stuff that's modern, way more modern than what he had. And we wore things he didn't wear. He, we didn't dress the same, even though we thought we were dressing different from the world and more, being more like Christ. Yet we were not dressed like Christ at all. Right. In fact, Christ, I don't think he ever wore a hat. But if you're caught wearing, you know, going to town without a hat, you got in trouble. That's right. That's not Christ-like. So our perception was that we're Christ-like because we're different and humble and, and all of that. But we weren't actually christ-like in the in, even in the physical sense which is not even that important the spiritual part the you know living with the relationship with the father and and blessing other people and treating your neighbor as yourself loving your neighbor as yourself which is what really matters which is mm -hmm. what christ exemplified that for some reason we didn't really focus on that we were just kind of had this vague idea if you have a a life separated from the world in the in that physical sense then you I hope they're on the right track. Interesting. You know, actually for me, when I became a Christian is when I became more plain. And I did it kind of for the same reasons where I thought the old colony had it correct. But if you if you watch the real old colony people, the ones that maybe just came from Mexico or the ones that still live more plain, they would wear homemade clothes. The women would wear a long veil. They would clearly never wear pants or anything like that. Men would, you know, dress plain and simple, maybe suspenders and, you know, very, very simple. And so when I became a Christian, I was liberated in the sense that I knew my sins were forgiven, but now I wanted to obey God. How do you do that? 
well, do the things that I was taught from young on, but do it actually, right? The old mm -hmm. colony people in Canada weren't doing it anymore. So I actually went to a very plain group for a little while, or a fairly plain group. They still had electricity and whatnot, but clothing and outward appearance meant very much to me for a little while. So it was my skewed understanding of what righteousness is or what right living looks like, right? Well, that's the beautiful thing about that you can be born again and truly become a Christian, but God gives you time to figure things out. That doesn't mean sure. you get uh, become a Christian over time. You're just learning how to live out who you now are. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, after about three years at that more plain group, we heard one of the ladies say that uh, she took a lot of pride. She didn't say proud, but I interpreted it this way. She said, I take kind of take pride in the fact that when I'm walking down the street in our local town, people know which group I belong to. And, <laughs> and we just seriously, thought, oh, no, that's not oh, what no. we want to be. Who are you portraying the group of Christ? <laughs> that's right. And it was like there was pride and humility again, pride and mm. plainness, mm. pride mm. and simplicity. And it was like you kind mm. of missed the boat here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, people do that. They miss right. it. So yeah. maybe tell me a little bit more about your childhood. What was it like then growing up so plain and or, or, or even your personal conscience and, and feelings of God? Was there a lot of that early on or was it just uh, tradition? Well, we were out, it's a culture. So a lot of, a, a lot of the things that we were taught wasn't so much parents sitting us down and teaching us. It was more caught than taught. It's just, you you just pick it up it's amazing how strong you can be taught things without actually them intentionally sitting you down and saying this is what we believe and this is right. what we stand for it's it's more like them reacting to the latest happenings in the community and and what's happening in church and then you just pick it up from them talking about it and, and their reaction their their strong emotional reactions and so but i do remember mom uh, and dad sharing things from the scriptures and and they were very sincere about living what they believed was right and so I always attribute my um, path to finding God to them instilling that deep conviction for what was right even though we might have been off at least we had that deep conviction I mean I remember when I was probably 10, 11, or I don't remember how old pretty young mom one time said that you know if you're bad you have to go to the fire so I thought about that just the other day. And I, would I have believed and really understood there was a hell if mom wouldn't have just told us? Because wow. in church, yeah, you, I, I did hear about hell in church, but I've heard of a person who was, grew up in our community, different district, but in our general community that she uh, didn't know there was a hell until she left. So, which that was shocking to me, but yeah. just goes to show that if the parents don't really share truth with the children, um, is they don't really learn that much because church is a lot of it is in high German and and they don't really speak. They have this chant when they preach, so you don't really pick up unless you're really listening. You don't really pick up a lot. So, I grew up with with uh, knowing. Some of you know the Bible stories, the Old Testament Bible stories, Cain and Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Moses and the children of Israel. But I 
the Bible. I was not fam very familiar at all with the Bible. I remember thinking that Jesus died four times because you'd read it four different times. You go to one gospel to the next. And my and my dad said, no, that's just one time. Oh, I said, wow. oh okay. I thought he died four times. So well, he rose from the dead. Why not? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I was young and I didn't think it through how yeah. weird that would be, that it wouldn't fit at all. But we had a King James Bible that a friend gave my dad. And I remember trying to read it a little bit, but it's just so different. But I, uh, as far as my perception of the Bible and versus culture, um, I knew some scripture. I knew uh, I actually memorized the Sermon on the Mount, at least the whole fifth chapter. I don't hmm. believe I went past the fifth chapter in German. And I memorized some of the speech little uh, sayings that the preachers quoted every Sunday, like yeah. I think it was first or second Peter. Uh, you know, I could just say that. Blessed be the God and Father. I, I think that's... Uh, I can't remember the first or second Peter. So I, I memorized some scriptures that the preacher said all the time. And of course, Psalm 103. I don't know if your church did that too, where the preachers would bless God or thank and praise the Lord with Psalms from book of Psalms. 106 was the thanking ver uh, passage and 103 was the praise passage. Okay. So they you memorized always, most of those. Well, the, they would quote the first few verses of each of those chapters every sunday that was their opening praise and thanks to god I see. either that or i think it was uh, 147 so um <clears throat> i had a pretty sensitive conscience and uh but it was trained to feel bad about things that weren't necessarily scripture but culture okay and what your fellow what your peers thought about you so uh, I had some not Bible knowledge, but it was mostly you. You thought we. I was taught you have to stay where you were raised in. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, well, we were the best anyhow, as far as the plainest. And to ever think of leaving, like, if the thought came to me, like later in my teens, about leaving because other people left, then I was like, where would I go? This is the we're living more like jesus than anybody else so where That's would right. i go so I was, I was thinking so in the physical in the carnal round right. thinking very carnally so it wasn't even so much a, a personal justification like you yourself were good enough but that if there is a good enough group you're part of it now so there's nowhere else to go do you yourself felt kind of defiled at times or guilty for not yeah i do remember tradition? one instance I don't remember what I did. I think it was just a general feeling of my unworthiness because I'd get angry or fight with my siblings. But I do remember there was a, an old, uh, used to be an outhouse behind our house that we now use for uh, smoking. But uh, to put the meat inside of it and smoke it. Uh, that's what it was used for then but i think it was just sitting there i don't remember when we used it last but i went inside of that and i was just that i'm gonna hide from god because i was i just had this dread mm. that god is not pleased with me and i'm trying to hide from him i don't think an outhouse is a good place to hide from god but <laughs> but i i for some reason that's a memory that sticks with me because way when i was a probably 
early teens. I see. So. I, I often have, I, somebody shared a, a children's story years ago. They were talking about the book of Jonah and I've often shared it with my kids and with kids at church too. Like uh, just the concept that you know who God is, you know how big he is, you know how he views the world from outside. And then you hear his little Jonah, you know, this little speck on this big ball that we call earth and Jonah's going to run away from God. And he goes from here to there. And he, he you know, you oh, think you can yeah. escape <laughs> the presence of God by running from him or hiding in a barn. Yeah, it's very foolish, but. But it is a childlike thinking. Right, where... Yeah, yeah. And I do remember sitting in church and listening to the preacher saying that we're seeking to get closer to God. You know, I don't know. Do you know Dutch or not at all or not? Uh, but... No, my, I would have learned German a little bit. Low, high okay. German was what the Bible was in and the songs were in, but we spoke mostly Plotdeutsch, low German. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not Pennsylvania Dutch. No. But it would I, I would I would listen to most of the message, I think. I was pretty good at uh keeping my attention on what they were saying. I don't know why. But so I remember a lot of the things even today, what what they would talk about, even though I've been out for two decades or whatever. Yeah. Or one now see I left in O two. So yeah, about twenty, a little over twenty years. So uh yeah. And I would think, how do you get, how do you get closer to God, you know, and things like that. And another, another message they always emphasize is bearing your cross. Okay. Which I think they meant being, being lowly and, and work hard and yeah. not do with chainsaw, but just use the cross cut and things like that. And, but to me, I was like, practically, how do you bear your cross? You know, is it something you do and, and how do you do it? Yeah. So it's, just deep questions that would kind of surface, but then you kind of forget again and you just dismiss it and move yeah, on. Yeah, dismiss it or or not be able to follow through and really seek it out. Okay. So like a young mind that just thought would come through and then that's about as far as it would go. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. When we got baptized at Old Colony, my wife and I, there was a poem that they gave us and it was in German. Um, and it said something about the cross also and that the cross it was referring to some uh, a woman's hair and the longer the hair the better yeah it's a cross to deal with but you know if you cut off certain portions cut off more cut off more than at the end your cross might not be quite enough to get you across the cavern to where god is right like there's this great gulf fixed between us and god and your cross is going to get you there and so if you are making your cross lighter and shorter in this case by cutting your hair then when you get to the end, you, your cross might not be long enough to get you to God, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's I never heard that, but there are ridiculous cross crosses out there like that. People yeah. come up with some very strange beliefs of what they think they have to do to cross that cavern. Yeah. But so, I never heard that one. Okay. That's, you wow. left the Amish in 2002, you said. Yeah. And you're, if I remember correctly, somebody told me last week that you're probably late 30s. Uh, it's a little past. Okay. Uh, so you, 40. Okay. Okay. So we're very much the same age and we probably oh, okay. got saved very much the same time. I'm going I to be see. 41 in September. And um, same here. Okay. <laughs> September 18th. 28. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm 10 days older. Wow. Um, but uh, I got saved when I was 21 um yeah i would have been 20 i think okay and so yeah. when you, you struck out i heard your story a little bit online you struck out away from the amish what what brought that on how would you ever dare leave 
if this was the well there were a number of things so like i said my parents instilled in me to their demise religiously speaking you know against their uh, religion i mean if you teach your children too well they might end up leaving your religion but um so i remember my dad having a talk with me and my brother andrew about boys thing young men stuff like sexual purity and things like that and it really instilled a deep conviction in me that i want to live right live pure and really really serve god and uh that i believe i always wondered what made me different or think start thinking different because when you're growing up you always plan on you know being amish and being faithful to what you're taught and make your grandparents proud and join the church mm -hmm. and your parents obviously and the preachers but why then being all sincere and having no plans of ever being different what made me start thinking different and i always i think i can trace it back to that talk with my dad hmm. which i didn't know at the time but i believe that's when the, the trajectory moved where i started on a different path without realizing it because then that deep conviction started making me more serious and think about hell and and then when things didn't line up in the culture, for instance, three church or two church splits by the time I'm old enough to join the church, mm -hmm. a church split into three different groups. And now there are three groups in the, in the same neighborhood saying we are not brothers and sisters. And yet we look very different and we're everybody's just as sincere as everybody else. So that told right. me sincerity doesn't do it because that they're sincere too, and they're wrong. They have to be, because if we're not brothers and sisters, that means somebody's not in the family. God doesn't have more than one family. So if we're not brothers and sisters, somebody's not in the family. Wow. So I then began to wonder, well, who is really not in the family? Because we're all pretty much the same. And if we are wrong, if if we are if we all are part of the family or were, were then then we're still wrong because we're disagreeing. It's wrong to disagree. Like somebody's anyway, it would just jump. My mind got so jumbled in all these uh, these different churches that it just really, really confused me. I couldn't figure it out. It's just too much for my brain to wrap it around, wrap yeah. around all this. So that was one of the reasons I can, I think I can trace it back to that talk we had with dad and then struggling to live a pure life not even feeling like i could be good enough to join the church and then of course the church is all split up and then mm. so the personal struggles not being good enough which my dad was in the band over and over all my young growing up oh, years really? because he couldn't overcome sin so he'd be put in the band because he confessed it to the church again and and then they'd put him in put him out for i don't remember two or three weeks or six weeks or whatever and then he he so he'd be sad and depressed and it would affect the whole family and it would just continue over and over and over so i was like i don't want that kind of life i don't care what where I, and i 
felt like I couldn't overcome my stuff either. So that's what it looked like it would be for me is I would have to go. If I joined the church, then I would have to confess my struggles, which would be very embarrassing. Yeah. And, but and now if it's like my dad, I wouldn't be able to stop. So it'd just be uh, like just struggling over and over. And so I'm like, that's not for me. Wow. So that was really one of the main reasons why I decided I don't want to join the Amish because it looked like a life of struggling and embarrassing, confessing. And then, of course, once that's in your heart and then you start thinking of some other things, you know, the church splits and then that not lining up because you used to just kind of accept it. Well, they're wrong. For sure. Parents chose the right church. But everybody else is wrong. You just kind of adopt that. But when you start questioning some things, then that that issue kind of came up too. You have to start, you know, you start thinking through things that don't make sense. And then the other thing is the fear of hell. I was laying in bed one night just trying to imagine being in hell for millions of years until literally I had tears running down my the side of my cheeks, running down my eyes, and just the horror of not not just how bad it is, but how long it would be that you'd never ever get out. Yeah. And it that drove me to decide I don't care what it costs me, where I have to go to find out I'm not going there. Because we were taught you just do the best you can. I even remember my dad, he's worried that I'm not going to join the church and we were going somewhere in the buggy. And, and he said, all he's trying to kind of talk me back into it, which that's another thing. We didn't have good communication between us and my parents. So if I'm struggling with something, I didn't just go and talk to them about it. And they didn't but talk they knew, to me too much. They either. knew there was a struggle. Right. Oh, yeah. It would pop up. And that was back and forth, which I kind of forgot most of it. But they said, see, now now that we talk, <laughs> they ended up leaving too. But so we can go back and talk about that. And they said, oh, yeah, we had arguments and debates. And I don't even remember them. Okay. But I do remember this one thing where dad said, all I know is just do the best you can and hope that you'll make it. Yeah, And in my mind, you know, I was in my shell and I didn't counter it at all. But in my mind, I'm thinking, uh, well, it's not good enough for me. I can't just hope and, and you know, Interesting. having that possibility of dying and then finding out, oh, I was wrong and I can't make it. But it's too late then. That's too scary. I had to have some wow. assurance. But with your dad uh, regularly confessing his wrong to the church, that that obviously built something into you too, where it it kind of developed this idea that I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be open, right? Where a lot of Mennonite and Amish <clears throat> men would continue in sin and just not tell the church, right? That is something else that I very much appreciate about my parents. They didn't put on this fake religious, fake spiritual show. So that went a long ways to... Uh, uh, yeah, they were honest and it went a long ways and not us just giving up on Christianity at all, even though they were failed, at least they were honest. Hmm. So that covered for a lot of that failure. And uh, that's that was instilled to us just to be honest about ourselves. Wow. I was talking to a guy named Leroy. You probably know who I'm referring to. Time. Uh, yeah. And he said he remembers clearly the day when you were supposed to be joining the church and I think it was maybe your dad or your grandpa walked in and there was tears in their eyes. I forget how it all went. I can't quite picture it, but I'm sure you, it's probably still pretty fresh in your mind even. 
That was when you decided to leave then, I guess. Well, I don't remember that because I wasn't there. Right, right, of course. I wasn't in the church that Sunday. I was hiding. They had to go to church without me that morning. You were hiding? Yeah. Okay. So. But so, it came uh, right down to the wire, right? When you were going to become a member. Well, <clears throat> that's, you don't, you, you don't get to become a member uh, in one Sunday, except at the end, like right. you take these baptismal classes all summer like nine of them or eight of them. And the ninth one, you get baptized and become an official member. But um, so I started on, uh, and you know, it's in the springtime, you start your, your, you know, you join the preachers to their little secret place and they sh teach you the, the rules and the, the doctrines of the church. And the third class they went through the church rules of what uh, what we believe. And of course, it's all by memory. So they try to just remember all the rules, how white. No catechism or anything. Well, I think they, well, I remember they were supposed to read the, the confessions of faith or whatever it's called, the, uh, the articles of faith in yeah. the prayer book that we had. And then I don't remember what the first two classes they covered. But the third one had the, the rules of the church, you know, how wide your hat needs to be and the string on your hat and the pants and, and all these different rules about clothing and what you can do and not do. Hmm. And he said, we have time, us, um, you know, the participants have time to think it over if we want to adopt them. And I thought that meant for two weeks and by next church Sunday, which we don't have church every Sunday. So the next Sunday, next church Sunday, I would have to make it. I, somehow that got in my mind that I would have to promise them okay. to keep the rules. And I was on the edge this whole time already. And I was just going along with it. Figured, well, I can go one summer yet before it becomes known that I'm different. So you don't, I don't have to face the shame and the, the embarrassment of the community. Well, this is where it came to the wire. I said, I'm not going to make any promises before I know for sure. And I wasn't, I still wasn't sure. I said, thought maybe I will join the Amish yet, but I'm just not ready yet to make that promise and that commitment. Mm. And rather than just doing the, 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 what you normally should do and just tell your parents, no, I need some more time to think about it and just talk it over and calmly just tell them where I stand. And I couldn't face the drama that I figured would ensue. So I just hid that wow. that sunday morning i didn't tell them during the week those two weeks i just planned that that sunday morning i'm just gonna hide i didn't know where to go so i'm not leaving i'm not leaving the honest i don't know where to go yeah which that was i was under tremendous pressure all wow. that time because well certainly after that i came under a lot of pressure just because i knew everybody's wondering well what does he believe he's still here and he's not joining the church so where is he going to go I didn't know where I'm going to go, but yeah, Sunday morning, I wasn't around. I left a letter uh, in my room and said, you've dragged my feet far enough. I'm not joining church. And I have a flaw. That's what I call it. I remember I said, I have a flaw in my life that I can't overcome. So I don't think I, and I, you know, I brought up that dad struggles and he can't overcome and that's not what I want. And that really hit him. And he had to agree that if my life doesn't, work if my religion doesn't work then why he had a very he had a very weak uh case to convince his son to join what he's 
a part of it doesn't work. Wow. So I was gone that Sunday morning and they had to go to church without me. I think it was a very rough morning for them. And how old were you then? I was nine. I think I was 19 or about to be. Okay. No, I, was, I would have been 18 yet because by the time I was to get baptized, I think I would have been. No, actually, I was thinking I was 17. I was expected to be baptized okay. around 18 because then I left like a year later. So I was 19 when I left. Wow. An old colony, you to go through a baptismal class too, but there's no rules that you have to listen to or learn that way. Oh, as really? Far as clothing style and stuff that wasn't really talked about. Uh, basically confess your faults and uh, learn the memory verses and answer the the correct questions. You know, I, you could read the book when you're up there. You didn't have to memorize it. Back in Mexico, my parents had to memorize the answers. Now you could just read them. And it was most people did it just out of tradition. And most people did it because they wanted to get married and you couldn't get married until you'd been oh, baptized. Yeah. yeah. And so there was very few people who were thinking about it as seriously as what it sounds like you were, where you were like, this is not consistent. I can't do this because it doesn't align with what I'm living, right? So, I mean, sounds like you were a pretty serious young man at that stage. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I was deeply concerned about my my future um, destiny. And which is, I find it interesting myself sometimes looking back that a young man growing up in a culture that's very secluded I didn't have somebody from the outside trying to persuade me and give me different ideas. I mean, I would hear about people leaving the Amish and, oh, now they claim to have joy and peace that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, right. They just want the car and the truck and stuff. <laughs> but so I dismissed that. So it wasn't like other people were trying to persuade me. It's just that internal confusion within the church, within the community didn't line up. And the guy that thinks very detailed like me, like I couldn't, I like to say it this way. I couldn't just run across the gravel driveway. I had to crawl up and down the stones hmm. like an ant. I, I, the small stuff was big for me. I had to process it very minutely. And so if, if one stone was different than another, I had to figure out why and all that. Okay. So the things were not consistent. It confused me. Other people could just run over it. Didn't bother them. But for me, if it was inconsistent and it meant, that which to me that meant somebody's going to hell yeah you know if we're not brothers and sisters somebody's going to hell then well who is it and how do how do i find out i'm not in the wrong church because we're all sincere so sincerity doesn't make you right so i could be wrong anyway so uh where were we i don't remember what how you got me off. uh you were 17 you got baptized or you were about to get through go through with the whole baptism thing and uh, you said at 19 you left, but somewhere in that in that stage of life. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I guess you were saying I was kind of I was serious, but oh, I was going to say I didn't have any outside influence. Right, right. But I did have some books about, you know, like from Christmas Carol Kaufman, Danny of Cedar Cliffs, not Regina. And I had the drummer's wife which is a story from the martyr's mirror okay and so those stories of people leaving the church back in the catholic days like back in the reformation really parallel with my experience that they are part of a system and they have to sneak out like not regina is a book about a young lady probably a fictional character but it's based on 
true stories. But Christmas Carol Coffin put a story together and I about a fictional character named Regina who left her, actually not the Catholic church, but the Reformed church. Okay. Swingly Reformed church. And she had to sneak out of the house to get baptized. And I could so identify with this thing of hiding and sneaking out. Not that I sneaked out that much. Didn't really know where to sneak to at that time. But you um, had to hide your your. But I had to like, as I thought I did, I had to just hide uh, when I didn't want to join the church mm -hmm. because of the. But then my parents, actually my mom, I do remember she's saying, if you don't want to join the church, you don't have to join the church. That's that's your decision. But I guess I just didn't want to face the drama. Okay. But then it still took a year or so before you finally left the, yeah, the community. Yeah, that, that's the time of, of deep, a uh, lot of pressure because mom comes home from church one day. We all come home from church one day and she says, yeah, the, the deacon's wife is uh, like, well, where is he going to go? Talking about me. And mom's like, I don't know. And, and of course, I couldn't answer because I didn't know. I, I was mm. still seeking. I didn't know where to go. Um, I was hoping the Mennonites had it together and they weren't all split up <laughs> because the Amish are all split up. So there's no hope finding a true church there to yeah. go to heaven. So I have to find maybe the, um, the, the Mennonites because I knew they had a split back in 1693. We had a Menno Simmons book at my dad's desk. He had one there in German. So I read some of that. I read Martyr's Mirror. And so I through that, I found out there was a split somewhere somehow i figured out there was a split way back and i thought well when maybe the, the, mennonites, the mennonites and the amish split yeah i kind of had the idea the anabaptists had the truth before mm. the split all these splits took part and so my faith was sort of in that that rooted back into the anabaptists but i didn't know which side carried the faith forward right i thought that all the men the amish lost it because they're all split up so i thought maybe the mennonites kept the church together and carried the truth forward. So I was wanting to join them, I thought. But then I got a book from, I think, Stephen Nolte, where he documents all the different Mennonite churches and where they started. And all split the splits. And all over, just split <laughs> all in the pieces. So, oh, there goes my hope to join them. So I was like, I don't know where to go. I was, it's like so hopeless. Wow. When your salvation is based on the church, you yeah. think, and the church is all split up, yeah, kind of hopeless, which absolutely. Yeah, thank God for that. That is, it's almost like it was designed in a sense to to rob us of our security in our community or in our church. Right? I was kind that's of the, the same that's way. The positive, that's the positive thing about church splits is it robs you of that false security. Where was your joy? Where was your confidence? Right? Yeah, I didn't have faith in Christ. I had faith in the church. Yeah. And even that was on shaky ground because we and we had the same thing where right? you can't can blow hooping. We can't you can't have confidence. There's no there's no assurance of salvation. You can only hope. And if there's any hope for anyone, it's probably us. You know, there's yeah, there might yeah, not we're the be. closest to it. So it yeah. probably is us. And somehow they have this. Don't think wouldn't you say they do have some sort of a confidence because when you leave. They come at you very confident, like you're wrong and we're right. Yeah. They come across that and, way. And if you do leave here, very likely you'll end up in hell. Yeah. Then they know where you're going. Yeah. But if you're still with them, you don't know for sure. But once you leave, then they know. Right. Interestingly enough, there's a very, very staunch reform group close to us here, too. Um, and they're like Dutch reform, very, very strict. They would be considered hyper Calvinists. They'll have a, a church of like 2000 plus people. 
and maybe six, from what I've heard, maybe six or 10 people will go up and take part in communion. The rest know they're not saved. But if you ever decide to leave, then you're in real serious danger because if ever is God is going to save someone, it's probably going to be at this church. We don't you have mean, confidence. You mean that's not just an Amish problem? It's funny, you're, eh? You're the church that when you leave us, you're lost. There's very few reformed churches that are still that staunch. But I remember hearing a very famous preacher once named Vody Bakum. Him and a few others were on a panel discussing hyper-Calvinism. And somebody said, oh, that term hyper-Calvinism is thrown around all the time, but nobody's actually real. I've never met a real hyper-Calvinist. And then Vody Bakum says, have you ever been to Ontario, Canada? And <laughs> I think he was referring to our group. And I've got I a couple see. of friends that got saved out of that group. And man, it's, it's harder for them, I think, to get saved in some ways than for an Amish or a Mennonite. But Yeah, well, I found out when I left that this, this uh, problem I had it's not unique. It's not an Amish no, problem. It's a right. human problem. You just tend to want to be comfortable where you're grown, where you're raised in, and and the people above you want to keep you there. Yeah. So. So then you yep. struck out on your own. You were a young single man. Yep. Yeah, the day came when I decided I'm going to run off, and uh, that's what I did. Not knowing where for sure you were going, you had some ideas. Well, you read a book. Yeah, I had a book, another book that a, the same Mennonite neighbor gave that gave me that book on the all those split up Mennonites. He gave yeah. me a book from uh, by Peter Hoover called "The Secret of Their Strength." I don't know if you've heard of that book or no. seen it. Do you know what it's about? Uh, no, I'm assuming something to do with martyrs as well. With what? Martyrs. Oh, martyrs. Yes, it was about the Anabaptists what they believed and what they suffered and how they had the fire and the zeal of God. And they didn't just get persecuted from the Catholics, but also from the, uh, the Protestants, you know, yeah. the Zwinglians and the Lutherans. So they were really caught between all these different groups and got persecuted very bad. And yet they, they really, they set Europe on fire basically. And anyhow, I was reading that book that one night, and stayed up till five in the morning, which is, I was never able to stay up late. Excuse me. It's <clears throat> never able to stay up late reading a book. Yanked that out. Never able to stay up late reading a book, reading a book but that night, that thing just lit me up. Like, this wow. is exactly what I'm looking for. Somebody, they actually have it. They knew they had it. And willing to, willing that, to die for it. Yeah. And so it really encouraged me that finally God is answering my prayer because I was thinking since nobody seems to have the faith anymore, you know, churches are all split. I got to go back before all the splits and find the root of our faith and, and figure out, you know, where, the, what the truth is, but it looks so hopeless because how do I find the right, you know, where are the books and how can I research all this? And I don't have access to things like that. And then this book had it all laid out, had it all, that's what I was um, looking for, basically. I mean, God really had a specific answer for the way I was thinking I had to find the truth is the way he answered, even though, you know, you could just go to the Bible and find it. But so that really encouraged me, lit me up. And then I'm thinking, well, I got to, I got to find the author of this book, which meant he was still around. Yeah. Well, no, actually, he had moved on from where he used to live when he wrote that book. But uh, as far as I know, he's still alive, but I've never met him. <clears throat> but um, there was a phone number in the 
in the in that book and the name of the or the place the name of the church i think and uh so i decided i'm going to shippensburg pennsylvania I'm there you go away and just again just run off and not tell anybody i see just leave a note and leave or not even that um i didn't even leave a note wow. i left early in the, i left like probably eight in the morning or something so it, was, it wasn't in the nighttime because I was pretending to leave to visit another Amish community. Uh -huh. A friend of mine, this is how it worked out. So I'm thinking, how am I going to leave? How am I going to leave? And then a friend of mine, one of my friends who we were going to join the church together, and then I dropped out and he had to continue by himself. That, that young man offered or invited me to join him to visit uh, another community down in Southern Ohio. He was, had a girlfriend down there and he was going to go down there and see her and then I could come along and they probably forced me on a date down there. But anyhow, so I said, sure, I'll go along. But instantly I'm thinking I could just pretend that's where I'm going to go. And then the first bus stop, I'll just get off and he goes on his way, keeps going his way. And I, I go to Shippensburg. Mm -hmm. So, and if, <clears throat> but of course, I don't know if it'll work out, but at least I could see if it, if it doesn't. And then if it doesn't work out, well, I'll just go on a visit down in Southern Ohio and come home. And that's as far as it went. Well, so I tell my parents, you know, this guy invited me to go along. And, and they thought it was a good idea. And so mom makes sure I had the clothes and even made an extra uh, pair of, I think it was a, a vest for me and made sure I had everything I needed. I felt bad for her because I was not planning on actually going. And Friday morning arrives and I get on the, what we call the Amish bus, which is we weren't allowed to drive or, or hire a driver, but we were allowed to get on a, a, a bus that was dedicated for just hauling people. Hmm. And we had one that would haul Amish only that would pick up people in our community. You just have to go out on the right road where they're passing by. So I go out there, I get on the bus and I tell him I want to get off in Worcester. And he overheard me and he said, I thought you're going with me. Your parents said that you're going with going down with me. And I said, ah, they didn't know their beans. So I get off of Worcester. He goes on kind of confused. He's probably very suspicious. And I get on that that evening, I get on a trailways or whatever it was, and I make my way to Pennsylvania. And my parents that didn't know where I went, they didn't know about this. They were always suspicious, I think, that I might. That they knew I wanted to leave, mm. but they didn't know I was doing it that weekend. Next morning, or actually it was afternoon, one o'clock, I, I arrived in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania, five hour layover in uh, one of the cities on the way out. So, man, that must have been a crazy time. time for you leaving the community like that, getting on a worldly bus and heading into a strange town. You had money and food and stuff? Well, I had saved up my, my dollar bills over the years from loading slab wood. We grew up in a sawmill. So we, whenever we helped somebody load slab wood, they normally would give me a dollar bill or something. And mom and dad let us keep that. Okay. So over the years, I had saved about $100. And I think the ticket cost 70 or so. And so I had enough money for a one-way ticket. And uh, so that's... that's uh, all the money I had, probably $30 left or so. Man, man. And then on the way out, I called that number that was in that book, which, so 
now I would never do that. I'd call before I even yeah. left to make sure it works out. But I just started. I went on this bus and just figured, well, see, see, I didn't have a very realistic uh, expectation of how it's going to go. I'm thinking there's this special group out in PA that is really dedicated to God because they know what the Anabaptists believe. And they're probably all huddled together every day and being all spiritual and just right. praying and talking and fellowshipping. And they're not probably not even working much. I had this hyper spiritual <laughs> mentality because if you want to really be serious about God, isn't that what you do? You're really yeah. spiritual. And if, I mean, if, so I'm all works oriented. So I had this mental image that they're probably just having church every day. And I want to check out these people. And if they're not who I think they might be, then I might just come back. I don't know. I'm just going to check them out. I wasn't thinking about actually leave, you know, leaving and staying there and needing a place to live and all that. Hmm. So I just go out and I call on the way. And it's one of the members of the church. And then he gives me the pastor's number and I call him at the next bus stop. And, uh, and I kind of spread out my calls during the trip. And, and then, uh, he mentioned that, so you're probably going to need a place to stay. And I said, Oh yeah, yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> and so that's the first that actually dawned on me that I, I need somebody to let me stay at the house. So that's how that worked out. I, they, he came out to the gas station where the bus dropped me off there in Shippensburg, the Sheets gas station, and picked me up. He brought a uh, uh, another guy from the church with him who could speak Dutch. Mm -hmm. And uh, you probably know the story how he, he, he was afraid I was some bum claiming to be from the Amish oh, wasn't. Really? and so he was figuring I'm just looking for a place to stay and it would be easier to claim to be from the Amish hmm. be easier to find a place to stay but when and you called so he, you told him what you were after what you were I don't about? remember what all I said but I think I told him I'm from the Amish and the, that I'm I don't know what I said probably something about looking for the truth or something yeah and uh, so he thought I'm probably not, he didn't know if I was sincere, if it was true that I'm from the Amish. So he brought this guy along that knew Dutch. And uh, when they got to the gas station, Harvey just took one look at me and said, he's for real. So oh, yeah. I was still dressed in the the dark Amish clothes and the, the wool hat, the, right. the felt hat. The, the long hair, the big Long pants. hair. And... Uh, so there's just no way to fake that. So the obvious accent and all that. Yeah, he didn't even hear me yet. He just looked at me and he could tell I was a real the real deal. Wow. So So they took you in and started sharing with you or how Yeah. I uh I, I visited John Martin's place. I visited uh the other guy that had called first, uh uh what's his name? It's slipping my mind right now. But Lynn Martin was the pastor. I visited his house, but then I stayed at Harvey Rife's place there at the there in the community and uh he wrote probably the, the best hmm? he wrote that book no Peter was the one that wrote okay. it Peter Hoover was the one that wrote it but he right. had moved along moved on already but uh that's where I that's that was a great place for me probably the best family I could have stayed with because just stability and a place for me to to learn I got a job next door 
a guy, their, their renter just across the yard uh, had just lost one of his guys or quit working for him. So he hired me and within a week or so I was working and making some money and I could buy tapes and, and books and, but I wasn't surprised that they were just sitting around having church every day. <laughs> I don't, that's just a, you know, how your mind can make mental pictures. And then when you, sh when you show up, you realize, Oh, well, they still have to work to make they, a living. They were working and driving and living a normal American life. As far as that goes, working every yeah. day, working hard and, and church on Sundays and prayer meetings, Wednesday nights. Okay. And there you started kind of hearing some of the truth of the gospel already, or was it still more lifestyle for you at that point? It wasn't so much lifestyle, I don't think, because that was a dramatic change for me, even though they dressed plain compared to most, you know, the rest of the world. Um, but I remember thinking, this is so different, yet it doesn't feel that different. Hmm. I mean, I'm driving to work in a truck now, but which I rarely ever drove with a vehicle, sometimes with a neighbor, but not that much. So lifestyle was very different, but I knew it wasn't about that. So I got past a lot of that about culture and, and church splits. Now, at that point, I understood that you can have that experience where you know you're saved. Okay. And by then, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for an experience to, where I could say, okay, I got this major experience and now I'm born again and I'm I'm a Christian, and so that's what I was looking for, but it just wouldn't come. And you, and you were looking for that at church church meetings and sermons and yeah, hoping that something would finally push you over the edge. Yep. Yep. Interesting. And how long were you with that family? I'd say almost, not quite two years. Okay. And then uh, they were having another baby, so they wanted me to move move out. So I moved in with another family. And uh, probably, no, I guess I must have been only about a year because my total time out in PA was around two years. So I must have been about a year I lived with that family. And, and then I moved in with another family, Corey Bylers. And then uh, um, that's when I got a hold of these tapes called Sin No More from okay. Mike Pearl. And I was living at that place when I was listening to those messages to and from work. I had my car by then that only had a tape player. Old 91 Chevy Cavalier. <laughs> I'm playing those tapes to and from work. And, yep. and I was um, struggling with sin still. And I, I was pretty confident by then that I had gotten saved, but still had these sins issues that i was dealing with and that's that's how i got free from sin is through listening to those messages in the car and while the final message that really opened my eyes and i had pretty major experience is when i was up in the, my room listening to the the message and my eyes were open to the fact that we're dead to sin and alive to god through christ okay. and that that affected you pretty deeply that was that was like the what do you call that the continental divide yeah like the watershed everything goes the other way for sure that's like the that's like when everything went the other way like up until then i was seeking for things from god 
asking God, praying to God, hoping like if I went to a revival meeting, I would get it. And just having having my my heart open to get some, get to, to receive, to receive. Will this do it? Will this do it? After that, it was no more. I had it. I knew I had it. I was 100% <laughs> like I shut myself off from trying to receive from you know, at a Bible study or at a uh, revival meeting or a church, because they would preach, you got to die to yourself. Yep. You got to ask God, you got to pray, you got to do all these things. I actually shut that off, shut that, shut my heart off from that idea because I had such a special gift called crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And I didn't want to lose it. Yeah. So the idea, I mean, I'm still kind of narrow minded, I guess, in my thinking. So in my, in my mind, now that I know that all Christians are dead to sin and buried, arisen again with Christ, and I had that revelation, I understood that I that's God gave it to me through the preaching of the gospel, gave me this, my eyes were open, my heart, yeah. my inner eyes, and I understood it for the first time that I was dead to sin. So I would guard my heart from any message that would come in and try to take that away from me. And there's plenty of them around, eh? Oh, yeah. It's all over. There's Especially nobody, in those revival nobody type I could settings. Share this. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's nobody that I could share this with, I felt like. Hmm. That, that I had died with Christ. Because I got, I got saved by understanding. It was from uh, a preach, two preachers, one named Roman Kaufman, one named Jerry Mahor. You're probably familiar oh, yeah, with I've, the names. I've listened to their sermons. Salvation Crystal Clear and the yeah, Worth of I've, a Soul. And wow. I, I saw in my mind's eye Christ crucified, beaten to a bloody pulp. Uh, I think it was Roman Kaufman said that he was marred more than any man. I picture him looking more like hamburger meat by the time they were done with yeah. him. You know, that image was in my mind that Jerry Mahor talks about how it should have been you on the cross. You know, you mm -hmm. were the one that deserved it. That ought to have been you hanging there. And and like the scales fell off. I recognized that I, <clears throat> all my sin is gone. It's done. Yeah. yeah. But then I spent a year or two kind of struggling with my sin still, happy that I'm justified and forgiven, but then very much the same way. I got sin no more. And it was kind of taboo, like in the circles I was in, it was like, oh, this guy doesn't sound like a normal preacher. You don't no, know what wasn't. some of his, his kids have done. You know, he, like all these little stories about his his mannerisms and his ways, he's kind of rude and whatever, right? Well, and, yeah, but he is. It, it he, was he, so gripping he, to me. It can come across that way. But the amazing thing was, it was like for the first time I could I could look at it and say, that's what it says. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not just one verse highlighted with a highlighter somewhere. Yeah. It's like, look at that whole passage. Look at Romans chapter six. Look at Colossians three. Right. Like it, it says it explicitly. We are crucified with him. Yeah. And, and I didn't need Mike Pearl anymore. Like it was, right. it's exactly. right there in the Bible, right? Right. And so, yeah, so I almost like getting saved again, uh, three years oh, later. That like, was, it was the just greatest. so thrilling. I mean, I've had some, I've had some experiences before that, some highs or whatever and uh but that was the clincher because i mean it's just ecstatic waves of ecstasy flowing through me as yeah. i understood my conscience bore witness that all my efforts of getting myself spiritual enough and humble enough so that god would answer my prayers and deliver me and, and save me and deliver me, all that all of that effort just went I realized that that me that was trying to get himself spiritual enough was dead. Amen. And if God calls me dead, then that means I, that me is gone. And I don't have to improve myself to be accepted. 
how do you improve on a man that's dead and buried? Yep. So I could just freely, I had the faith to just believe that right now the father is accepting me. And I was just experiencing it. I wasn't just a something that I was trying to grasp a hold of with my mind. I was literally experiencing the joy and the acceptance. And then when I think of something else that I had been struggling with, oh no, that's that's done too. And yep. and it, it's just waves <laughs> of, of the spirit bearing witness and my conscience bearing witness. It was done. It was I'm free. Absolutely. It's a weird thing to explain, right? Here I was, a grown man, 21 years old or whatever I was at the time, yeah. 22 maybe, right. and driving a forklift for work and sometimes like squealing to myself out of delight and excitement. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe this. This is so amazing, right? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that's that's quite a story, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a journey. I felt like I was giving, given a uh, an advanced course in deep theology crammed into eight messages or whatever nine messages and i had an understanding that very few people around me had or nobody around me had and that how do you explain to them what you had because i had to listen to eight messages and nine messages and it was very very well presented very well delineated and and like you never i've never heard anything like it mm -hmm. i remember the first time he mentioned and he claimed in another series called dead to sin or free from sin or whatever it was what was the other series you remember it had three tapes yeah alive to dead to sin and life to, oh it's called sanctification it was That's purple right. purple yeah. uh, label and in that series he claimed that we died with christ the same time he died and then when yeah. he was buried we were buried in the same grave at the same time i was like that's the craziest thing i ever heard in my, all of my life that's how foreign, that's how little we were told about our crucifixion with Christ. Yeah. That's how little we, any of the preachers mentioned that. Good preachers, very good preachers, born again, saved, very sincere, and they're going to have, I'm, I don't believe that they were just religious fakes, but they did not understand that, They. I think they understood that Christ died for us, and they had that. Mm -hmm. They had that pretty good down pat, but they did not understand that we died too. That's right. That that was something that we had to do to and die it's to not, ourselves. It's, it's not an alternate experience. It's not a different experience. It's all one and the same event, right? Well, it's supposed to be, but for me, it was another experience. But it was. Uh, it was. What I mean, what I it mean, was though, my eyes being opened to yeah. that to that same event, which for is sure. Christ. When Christ died, everything was done. Yeah. But you might see it in different stages yeah you might but see I, one part of his work one day and then realize and find out oh that's not all he did that's right he also provided not just forgiveness but deliverance in the same exactly work. and then you find that out and then it's another experience for you but it was really for sure where where most people when they talk about dying to self crucifying yourself that kind of thing it's like this ongoing uh the work of christ happened two thousand years ago now there's a work that you need to do that you, I mean, obviously you and I both believe we work out our salvation with fear and, right. and there's plenty of work for us to do as Christians, but as far as getting to God goes, as far as getting free from sin goes, as far as getting forgiven goes, there's one work that was done complete once forever. And all Christians were baptized into his body. Mm -hmm. All were crucified. All were buried. All were raised again. There's, you don't need to have something happen in your life to make that a reality. 
the moment you believe the gospel, all of that is true, right? So it, it all it's happened yours. back then. It's not something you're trying to, to make exactly. happen. For sure. That is so hard to get across to a person that right now you are dead. Yeah. You don't have to become dead. You are because you got baptized into his death. But I got it. I somehow my eyes were open and uh, I just rejoiced and I didn't look at myself, try to improve myself. I just rejoiced in Christ. And it was the most freeing thing I've ever experienced. Absolutely. I remember one of the statements that he made was something along the lines of um, most Christians in our culture understand and believe that salvation Forgiveness is by grace through faith, but they don't understand that sanctification or freedom from sin is also by grace through exactly. faith. And that was such a revolutionary thought to me, too, to think, I, I don't try to get my sins forgiven. They are forgiven. Yeah. So I'm not trying to get free from sin. I am free from sin. That's it's right. stated so plainly, right? That was, that was, that was, that's so radical. Like most people, they work and work and work by... Bible study, prayer, going to church and tithing and doing good works to get saved. And then we've come out of that and said, no, that doesn't save you. And then we got saved. But then, like you said, they work and pray and fast and ask God to give them freedom from sin. And they don't realize that's just as free and doesn't take yeah. any more work just as to much get free from sin as it does did to get free from the penalty of sin. That's right. Hey man, well, I mean, so, uh, we've probably gone on along almost as long as people want to listen to us anymore. But uh, I would love to get the last little bit of your life, or the last twenty years of your life, maybe in a few minutes. You must have gotten married and settled down, and you—I know you're back in Ohio, and all kinds of good things have happened since then. Yeah, yeah, I got. Uh, let's see, man, what all do I want to put in there? Yeah, I ended up getting married probably, let's see, in 2017. So that would be 15 years later. Oh, wow. Or, or 14. I got I got that experience around 03, I think, where I understood the gospel. And I got married in 17. So yeah, 14 years later. And uh, met my wife at a shindig down in Florida. I was living in Tennessee, going to Mike's church. And I... Uh, learned to study the Bible while I was living down there, mm -hmm. like for real, actually study it. He might gave us young men down there. <clears throat> we sat us down every Monday night for that summer of 2013. And we learned how to study the Bible and we'd come together and he would ask us, what did you find? And, and, and then we'd give us more tips. And mm. I mean, you can be told this is what you do, but when you actually do it and he guides you through and, points out where you missed it wow, then a, you really learn how to study what an opportunity yeah, it was it was an opportunity of a lifetime and then then i would actually preach like short little sermons there at his church and then he would give me more pointers about how i could have you know presented it better and so that's how nice. i learned that's my little bible Bible school, school, yeah, Bible sure. college, not Bible college, whatever little training thing I got there, and then I got found a wife finally, which is another story. Took a long time, but uh, yeah, I got married, and uh, then God called us up here to Ohio, not in the same communities I grew up, further east, north, Geauga County. Uh, well, I'm actually not in Geauga, but in that area, and. Uh, so we're living up here in east northeast Ohio, and we're 
started a church, which that was not what I thought I would be wasn't doing. Wasn't your plan necessarily? That wasn't my plan. It's just trying to reach out to some Amish people and maybe uh, witness to them. But now I wasn't thinking about starting a church. But God gave us a building basically for free, almost anyway. And uh, we fixed it up and we're having church services in there. And uh, it's really been a blessing. And it's feels like that's what I'm called to do. It's very rewarding. Well, I, I had a really good couple of really good conversations with Eli Troyer. Uh, and my ah, wife, he told me yeah, my wife and his wife got pretty close over that time. And even our two daughters, they're both 14, almost 15, I think. And they spent a lot of time together. I and see. what a joy to see Eli, right? Like he, you could tell he was extremely liberated over even just over the last couple of years. But his oh, wife yeah. apparently had written a letter down to no greater joy. Yeah, way that's back how we got started. That's how we got, got you guys out there. So, yeah, that was that's an interesting story there. Very interesting. She writes them a letter and they. That's how we found out that, well, that's how we got turned on to this area. Right. So now there's a, a group of mostly former Amish coming to your congregation? Yeah, they're almost all former, but there's there a couple that are not. There's okay. one guy, let's see, two guys, and uh, yeah, it's just a few that are not, but most of them are former, former Amish. And, and you're good with that. Like you, you kind of recognize your calling and your ministry is mostly towards Amish people? Yeah, it is mostly geared towards the Amish people, but I don't know that it's a good idea to have all former Amish in the church, but I mean, it's whatever. I can't control who comes and who doesn't, but yeah, um, it doesn't bother me either way too much at all. But I think there's a balance when you have some different backgrounds come together. But then again, when you just preach straight from the Bible, who cares what the background is? Exactly. I think I think that when you have a lot of good just gospel preaching, even though they already know it, but you keep preaching it, it just kind of keeps people from developing uh, in religious ruts, getting into religious ruts or cliques or whatever, and you just you just keep walking in freedom. It doesn't matter what background they're in yeah. or from. Yeah, when I when I first got saved, I, I mean, I listened to a lot of people who were not from the Mennonite or, or plain type of background, and they talked a lot about the diversity of the church, how every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and, um, you know, the book of Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, and we should be able to break down those barriers. And, and so I was open to the idea of let's gather with many different cultures as long as they name Christ, which I'm still very open to. But as I progressed and maybe became more mature and started ministering the gospel to people it almost always just seemed to hit the Mennonite people and I thought well I mean if if what I'm preaching um, connects with and convicts and shows Mennonite people Amish people plain people the truth of the gospel then I'll just embrace that and go with it like exactly. I obviously have no trouble with others but if this is the door that's open I'm just going to march right through right yeah I feel like there are obviously the gospel is for everybody, but the way you present it comes across to, to some people better than others. Yeah. And Mike was the only one that got it across to me. I think the others might've been preaching the gospel, but the way it came across to me is it sounded like I wasn't humble enough and broken enough. So I was working on my box, yeah. my little spiritual box that I was trying to empty of self because they said, you have to realize that you're, you can't save yourself and that it's not of works and that it's all on Christ and not what you do is what he did. So I'm trying to get to that place where 
I'm lost. And I, I'm really a hundred percent convinced that I'm lost. And somebody would say, well, I was kind of thinking I was safe, but then uh, through preaching and, and God working on me, I finally realized I'm actually lost. And then I got saved. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to get lost, <laughs> broken and repent enough because Christ said he came for sinners and not for, for the righteous. So I have to become a sinner not realizing, I guess, that I already was. Well, I knew right. I was, but I didn't feel it enough. So I'm, yeah. I'm going by my feelings and trying to feel sinful so that he could give me this emotional high. So I just couldn't get get myself humble and, lo and lost enough. I listened so. to, for a couple of years, I listened to an awful lot of that revivalistic style preaching. And I could name a bunch of the speakers, but I don't necessarily need to pick on any one of them. But there was this pursuit of a second work and a deeper filling and an anointing where a uh, same idea. I was already saved. I knew my sins were forgiven, but I couldn't quite grasp the second filling, the anointing of God, where finally, if I would just get empty enough and broken enough and humble enough and holy enough that maybe, maybe God would give me this overwhelming sense of his grace and his anointing and his blessing. And, you know, it was always, always just this elusive thing that was just yeah. outside of my grasp where yeah. I feel like I think I'm very close. I think I'm extremely close, but uh, maybe I'm just yeah. not quite there yet. Exactly. Right? That's what was so liberating to find out that the old man's dead. So why seek for, you know, to be humble and broken when he's the whole person the whole me that needed to be what I thought needed to be broken and humble is crucified. Mm -hmm. So that whole effort was you know, not needed because he's dead. <laughs> so that's what was so liberating that I didn't have to reach for a certain level of spirituality for God to, uh, you know, to experience freedom. Amen. So liberating. Excellent. So but, you, uh, you've been married now for five or six years. Yeah. 17 to 23. Yeah. Uh, six years this uh this fall and a couple kids we got, we got one kid and one on the way oh very good excellent man hopefully one day we get to meet up here that would in, be awesome person i heard that uh you were i didn't realize that eli's went out to iowa but he told me he met with you guys and it was really good I enjoyed talking to you guys but uh that would be very, very good. Uh, maybe we can come up sometime or you come, come down sometime. For sure, for sure. Well, I know a lot of people there had never been to Canada and they weren't sure how do you get across the border and what do you have to have? And yeah, I wouldn't many, many of them didn't sure have either. passports and stuff, right? So, well, I have that. There you go. So, yeah, we should, we should definitely meet up sometime. That'd be good. Yeah, I would love to. Cool. I really would. I, I really would. But you are, you are one of those. I don't. I don't think I know a lot of people that really understand our crucifixion with Christ and that we are, I mean, there are more and more anymore. Yep. The people who listen to Mike, but people from the Amish or plain background, they usually don't really seem to understand that. Or some people, they kind of understand it, but it's almost like just a passing doctrine to them, which confuses me. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, of course I'm crucified with Christ. Like, how does that not blow your socks off? Like, how do you not? <laughs> you don't really how are you it. not just beside yourself with amazement and worship? Yeah, right? yeah. But, uh... Well, it's good to hear it again from another person because sometimes I just need to be reminded again because it kind of wears off and you yep. have to hear it again. And you're and you're preaching quite a bit there. Oh yeah, I preach pretty much every Sunday. Okay. For now, hopefully, I'll get get some more established where they can 
take my place or help with that. Yeah. Interesting. How far away is your brother Andrew? An oh, hour and twenty hour, minutes. Hour yeah. and twenty minutes. Yeah. Okay. And he does some teaching there too. Has kind of almost started his own church also. Yeah, at his place. Yeah. Yeah. But we have not not exchanged pulpits yet. So well, he he came over. He did preach one time here, and uh, I, I guess I did. I used to preach at his place when we first moved to Ohio, before we started this church. We would drive an hour and twenty minutes to go to their church, and I'd help him preach. And we'd take turns, and hmm. that was that was that was fun. It was a blessing. He liked it a lot to have that burden shared with somebody else, and he really hated it when we moved. Uh, I mean, we stopped coming inside of our church here, but that's what God has called us to do. We didn't know it at the time that we're going to start a church here, but that's what ended up happening. And it's it's a real blessing to be a, be able to minister to people like that. Very exciting. No, that sounds like a real a real blessing even to have your brother that, that you can connect with that way too. So I've got a couple of brothers also that I really connect well with. I mean, almost all of them I connect well with, but a couple of them that moved out west to Alberta. So they're three days drive from me, right? So, I see. But, so uh, did your family end up leaving? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a long story too, but we the old colony had a bit of a split in it. And it was the only okay. split that I was ever aware of in our congregation. Uh, one of the preachers who had the year before done our our wedding ceremony, he wanted to start preaching in some English, like just, you know, a few snippets in English, just so the young people could understand a little bit and maybe do some Bible study. And apparently there was some political issues with one of the elections. He felt like the preachers had rigged the election for a new leader of some sort. I never got the full details there. Oh, but... my goodness. So religious, oh, religious rigging. I thought it was right. all just in the political realm. No, it happens everywhere. So then we left uh, with him, not with any intent of uh, becoming Christian or, you know, carrying our Bibles around or anything like that. But just, you know, maybe we should have some English. But that opened the floodgates for us to now listen to other things outside of the old colony congregation and the charity ministries tapes and CDs started getting passed around and some other stuff I was listening to. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I started out with. Okay. Charity tapes and stuff. So I, was, I was a newlywed man, had been baptized at the old colony church, gone through the motions, <laughs> had the, you know, in the nominus father, sintasonus, heri and yes, this the water poured on my head. Right. And uh, my mom felt the Holy Spirit in the room. She was sure of it. And uh, about a year after we got married, I understood the gospel and I realized I had been a child of the devil till this point. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I needed to be born again and I was. And so when I got baptized, my family was obviously very, very terrified. It's weird that one of the doctrines the old colony holds to is that uh, a second baptism is the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so now wow. I committed the unpardonable sin. Wow. Um, I was no longer welcome at my in-laws for like two years. I never was able to go there. And my parents, like they would have nightmares about my my lost state and uh it was bad wow but then wow, now 20 years later I, I mean i've had bible study with my dad many times he leads some bible studies every now and then uh, my father-in-law he listens to the german radio station which has uh, the gospel being preached oh wow and so we're you know everything's fine and good now and i couldn't okay. have planned it better right it's yeah yeah same here my parents ended up leaving too and getting saved and my all of my siblings are out except two of my sisters hmm they were married when we left or when my family left so they couldn't really join us okay so well man keep preaching hopefully uh, people will tune into sin no more and get free uh, from sin that way also 
Yeah. Yeah. Go to, go to their website and get it yourself. But that's do you the, have, do you have any kind of uh, social media platform or anything that you share on? Um, yeah, I preach and I put my messages on Facebook and YouTube. I try to do it live, but sometimes we have technical problems, but, uh, just look up my name okay. on either one of those, YouTube or uh, Facebook. I know there's another Moses Schrock on there, but I'm not the one with the big white beard. So okay. make sure <laughs> get the right one. And because he's a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, but uh, you can look at my website. I have a f- called freebyfaith.net where I try to present the gospel in written form. I don't have videos on there. Maybe I have a link of, of some video, but. But freebyfaith.net is where I try to try to explain this thing about crucified with Christ and all these different angles. I have all these key words that I traced down in the Bible and tried to put it into an article or a page in the website. The idea is if you don't get it in one page, click on another another keyword that has that, that talks about the gospel from another angle. Okay. By the time you read all of my material, you should have a very good grasp of the gospel. Right on. All very right. good. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely.